Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. ABTP buddies, today I've got Orlando Baxter on the show. Orlando became a hot comedian in the Boston comedy scene in 2005. The former high school teacher got a string of finalist positions in contests and festivals, including NBC's Stand Up for Diversity and the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Orlando made his stand-up comedy debut on Conan and co-starred and co-wrote the feature film Salesman, currently streaming on Amazon. His new special, Live from South High, is available on YouTube, and it took Orlando back to the high school he attended as a student and later came back as a teacher. You can watch the special for free on YouTube and get the extended version at OrlandoBaxter.com. Here's Orlando Baxter. It's a good one. It's Orlando Baxter. Orlando, how are you? How you doing, Scott? Thanks so much for doing the show. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I, um, one of the things I noticed about your special is you've got really, really good pacing. I thank you. Yeah. I, I've never seen somebody as, um, comfortable and just conversational up there. It's not, there's a confidence there that I wish I had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think uh I think I'm kind of like laid back like in general. Uh-huh. So I think that carries over on stage and then also you know, I was kind of I mean, you watch the special. I'm kind of like talking about my life and it's Yeah. It's the, it was like a theater theater atmosphere. Uh-huh. Which kind of slows you down a little bit as well. You know what I mean? Like right. uh, in terms of like being in a club where it's more intimate, but you can deliver the jokes faster. Right. Yeah. Whereas theater, it might take a little bit more time. You got to wait for the back of the room to hear the joke and laugh. Yeah. Yeah. So don't give me all the credit, man. You're making me look, you're making me sound real good. Well, I I really enjoyed it and I'm going to use it to teach myself to slow down because I did, I just did a, um, a 10 minute spot and I finished it in eight. Yeah, oh, yeah. I know it was 10. It was supposed to be 10. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens sometimes. That, yeah. You know, but it's weird, though. It happens. You can, you can either forget a bit or or you're going too fast or the the laughs aren't long enough. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you anticipate a longer laugh and you're like, yeah, that wasn't supposed to be a half a second laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be a courtesy laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So I wanted to talk about the special a little bit first because it's, you know, going back to your, your old home school where did you go to school there and teach there? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I graduated from uh, South high school. 
And then um, at my last, I taught for about 12 years. And my last two years before I decided to leave and do full uh, stand-up full-time were at South High. Mm -hmm. So I honestly felt like if I just, if I didn't make that decision to go full-time, I would have stayed at South for the rest of my life. Because just, I love the school. Right. See me rocking the yeah right now. <laughs> Got a lot of self-pride in me. Yeah. And you, you could tell that the audience was really, I, I, it, some of it was almost inside jokes because I, I, I mean, you made, you made it to where everybody would understand, but I can tell that those jokes really hit because it was the folks who'd been there with you. Yeah. 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 It was a lot of my uh, colleagues that, I, that I taught with. Um, it, just a lot of teachers in the city, man. Like that's kind of like uh, a big part of my fan base, a lot of educators. So there were a lot of educators at this, this show. I did it in my hometown, in my home city. And uh, uh, and it's in Worcester, Mass. I'm a Boston comedian, but I'm I'm from Worcester, Mass. Okay. Like Dennis Larry. That's, that's yeah. the, other, the other big guy out of Worcester. There you go. And as far as how your, the act was... Uh, very story driven and very personal and really um i i felt like i knew who you were mm -hmm. by the end of it is that yeah. how comedy started for you is did you start with the personal uh aspect no of it? no no i was i was more of a of a of a writer i didn't do too many act outs i didn't really tell too many stories i kind of just was like set up punch um, but at, at some point, maybe a couple of years in where I, I kind of realized like conversation for me felt more natural mm -hmm. and, um, it felt like it, you can hide the punchline a lot better through conversation. It's harder yeah. for them to tell when it's about to come because you're just, you're just having a conversation and yeah. then they have no idea they're going down a, a path with you. So that I kind of like adopted that style felt the most natural to me. And then I think because I had went to the Fringe Festival for a couple of, uh, you know, I went multiple times and uh, it was always a, a difficult grind, but a great learning experience. And uh, I was able to watch a lot of international comics and, you know, a lot of them were doing like this storytelling type of standup. Yeah. And um, I remember going the second time and saying, hey, I want to, kind of like try this and I end up trying it and it allowed me to 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 be a lot more patient in 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 storytelling kind of like you know just not be as concerned with the lap not saying that the special was but <laughs> um it gave me some patience and I think when I did this uh special life from south it allowed me to put a lot of jokes that maybe people heard before into a context uh -huh. and into this like arc, which allowed people to know more about me. And it wasn't, it's not just about the bits. Right. So I think that, that, that kind of, that, that's why I love about this special. Yeah. You know? I've talked to uh, several comedians uh, from Great Britain and a couple from Australia. And there's a difference and you've been to both places. There's, there's a really big difference between United States comedy and UK comedy. And then Australia, from what I understand, really takes it another step 
to where, mm. I mean, you could just, you could just sit there and talk for an hour and a half and have three real punchlines and everybody's fine with it. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very, it's very, very different, man. But I, I think you can, and I've seen comedians that had like this, they can do both, meaning like their comedy would come very quickly, mm-hmm. but it was very, it was a lot of storytelling as well. Like, so like what I tried to do in this, this special, which is very different, like, is I tried to combine like the both of them mm-hmm. just because of the uniqueness of the situation for me like to do it at that high school and probably as you know as you watch this special you you realize how uh significant and how impactful this was on me as a person as a student and as a teacher right yeah it, it really came through that way as far as writing so when when you're writing the setup punch stuff and all, all the stuff that comedians have to do when they start out. Do you feel like it was harder to write that or is it harder to write the story driven stuff? No, I think it's much harder for me to, to write. I don't know if it's cause I got ADHD or what, but it, it, it's a lot more difficult for me to just sit down and just write things just to write them. Like mm-hmm. when I try, I focus like I'm kind of a perfectionist. So I'll, I'll start and then I'll erase and I'll start and erase and I don't get anywhere. Whereas I, I do a lot of my writing on stage okay. where now I, I feel like when you're on stage, you don't have time to criti- criticize yourself mm-hmm. because there's an audience in front of you. So you're like forced to not be in your head. Whereas when you're sitting down and writing, you can kind of analyze everything you're thinking about or about to write and be very critical where on stage, you don't have that. You're kind of, people are looking at you. They're not going to wait and be like, uh, you know. Right. What's he doing now? You got to just, you just got to talk. And, um, I think that's been very helpful to me, like going up on stage with an idea or a story in mind and kind of telling the story and then kind of finding the rhythm and the beats. And then once I listen to it back and hear it, then I can kind of like add to it. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Yeah. So you're, you're one, I haven't talked to a right on stage comedian for a while. So I, I want to get into that. When you are writing on stage, what do you okay. go up there with? Do you, do you have a premise? Do you have a punchline you want to get to? What, what, what's your goal when you get on stage and you're working out new stuff? So for, for me, the goal is like, if there's a story that I find interesting, not even necessarily funny Mm. and then somehow you know and i just want to talk about it a little bit because something might have been awkward or i might have felt a certain way or or maybe there was a punchline that i just want to use but to get to it i got to tell this story Mm. and so i'll go there with that and i think um because i already know i have jokes that are like funny so I know I can like, oh, I can be very funny up front just to tell this story in between yeah, and then end with funny or just tell the story up front and know that I have funny behind what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So I guess my mentality is, all right, this is new. Uh, I really want to see how they are. Are they paying attention to it? Like, because if it's interesting and maybe not so much funny, but it's interesting, then it's worth me doing again. Mm-hmm. Because I got their attention and that's, 
that's also part of it, right? Yeah. You want, you want to be able to grab their attention and like, if they're holding on to my word and they're waiting for the funny to happen and I just don't deliver, I'm like, all right, I got to find the funny. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it, they're, they're, they're on board. I just got to be able to deliver. So I think that's, that's kind of my mentality, but I'll get off the stage and I'll, once I listen to it, I'll write to what I said on stage, but I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't go on stage with the idea written down where me saying it verbatim. I just, I'll have the, the gist of the idea. And then I'll just like, oh, you know, and I think a lot, like I said, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, you know, the ADD in me where I just kind of, I'm like, I'm not going to remember it uh -huh. if I try to remember. So I got to tell this story because for some reason, stories, experiences, I don't forget them. Right. Yeah, that I, I I really like that because that's actually what I'm moving to myself a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I um, made a big move from you know the north to the south. And the one thing that I always did was I was always a hundred percent ready when I went on stage when I was up north. And I decided, okay, I'm just going to throw it away. I, I I'm just going to yeah. go up with some things that I think might be okay and talk through them. And just like you, you sandwich it in between the stuff that, you know, is going to work. And yeah, it's, it feels good to do that, especially when I guess you have to have stuff to start with. If, if you don't have yeah. the stuff, it's a lot harder, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I'm going to go back and forth as far as, uh, uh, different times in your life. But one of the things that really struck me was when you were talking about, you, you had the, the kind of cross-eyed problem and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and wore the glasses and, you know, got picked on and, and, and things like that, you know, I, that hit home so much for me because my son went through that and mm -hmm. we went through, so we went to one doctor and the doctor said, yeah, I'll just slip, snip a couple nerves and everything will be all right. And and we went to another doctor and I said, no, you can't do that. His, yeah. eye, his eyes are not the, he doesn't have a lazy eye. He has his eyes working independent of each other. Yes. Is that what yeah. yours was? Yeah, it was working. One was, one was working and one was, was lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so one, 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 um, tended to like take all the focus and the other one was kind of like, didn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, so, it, so I hung out by the nose. But, um, yeah, man, like, so I had the glasses and, um, I, we couldn't afford the surgery. Mom didn't want me to do the surgery. And I, I just, they, they said that the glasses were going to fix the eye and that's a lie. So don't, they, uh, you know, no, don't was, believe that. Yeah. Like what it will do is it'll keep, it'll keep the eyes straight. It'll, it'll hundred percent keep the eyes straight. But once you take them off, it, it kind of like goes back to the original state. Right. But, um. What I found out was, uh, I put con, I had contacts in, uh, like maybe my junior year, senior year in, in high school. And because I guess the glasses kept them straight, the, the contacts actually kept them straight as oh. well. But when I took them out, it was the same thing. But then I got the laser eye surgery, the LASIK eye uh -huh. surgery. And that, that, that kept them separate. Yeah. Equal, you know, now did you, uh, not have depth perception. I don't, I just knew I could not see well. Okay. At all. Like I, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I forgot 
what it was exactly because at some point when your eyes cross, you don't care about all the yeah, <laughs> all the essential things. You're like that's like the main problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, my and I the reason why I ask is my son played basketball and baseball, yeah. and he was a pitcher and. Mm-hmm. He didn't have depth perception. I mean, we were told he he has no depth perception, and I was always wondering how he could find the basket if if he didn't have <laughs> depth perception. But he was out in the driveway every night, yeah, hitting the, hit, hitting the threes and stuff like that. So it was just muscle memory as far as where it was. But and he's had surgery since then, and his depth perception comes in and out now. And yeah. it actually freaks him out a little bit because he'll be driving, then all of a sudden he's seeing 3D, and then it goes back. And... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no. I So that that was another thing, too. I think I didn't have it. I didn't have depth perception either because I couldn't use 3D glasses. I remember, like, there, were, uh, there yeah. was, like, a point in time where you would go to the movies and some movies would have 3D. It never worked for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, Never, yeah. but now, now it does. Same and as my son. Me. Yeah, my son it had to. Me out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Ex- exact same problem. So growing up with you know with that in mind, I you know I I wore glasses when I was a kid and they were super thick and I I went through the same thing and yeah. Um, I also you know by the time I was in seventh grade or you know, I was eighth grade I was like six five so I was a giant but I weighed like 150 pounds so <laughs> if I stood sideways like I was invisible and <laughs> but I got picked on you know bad because the junior high and senior high were all one school and oh, wow. the junior high kids were in gen- general population I used to call it <laughs> and the seniors didn't like I was taller than them so they just you know just picked on me really bad oh, and, wow you and, were and, oh, you couldn't even like hide oh yeah it was it was awful and uh it seems like we did the same thing we used humor to kind of disarm that stuff and is that is that where the the comedy bug hit you it was right then when you knew you could make people laugh well, yeah, I think it was like a combination of things. Like, I, like I said, I was very, I was very shy mm-hmm. uh, when I was, and I was, you know, unless I was amongst amongst people that were like close friends or family. But I think the the I my mother laughed as as a kid as well. My mother used to be into like Benny Hill and like. <laughs> All this like British comedy, absolutely fabulous, and and um, uh, she was a big like uh, Jerry Lewis fan uh-huh. and, and Lauren Hardy. So I used to always love comedy, and Richard Pryor was like huge, huge in, in my house, uh, comedy albums and whatnot. So I've always been into it, and I could always make her laugh or make my younger brothers laugh, and some of my really close friends. But I was kind of very shy publicly, mm-hmm. um, and I think it was because I was just insecure about you know having these glasses and I was unlike you, I was really small for my age. Right? Uh-huh. When I was 16, I was five, three. Okay. As I'm six, I'm little, almost six, one now, but when I was 16, I was five, three. So super skinny. So glasses look bigger than, than my body, yeah. you know, most <laughs> of the time. But, um, but yeah, I definitely used, uh, you know, comedy. Like when I started like kind of, Using my humor a little bit, I definitely noticed a, a change 
like in myself then and and it was like kind of my like go-to thing yeah and you so you went to college and started doing the teaching and then you know you you're an adult now and you gotta you gotta do the adult stuff and and keep going when was it that comedy came back to you well at that high school i was at um like i said my personality started coming out at south Mm -hmm. because they had like um they had this like tv production class where we would do like mid-morning announcements and i would kind of like fool around with my friends in the studio, joke around all the time. And, you know, I changed a lot as a person. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I started getting sports a little more and I was on the basketball team and football team. And, you know, I was this funny guy, but I was this new kid, but everybody seemed to like gravitate towards me. And I had these great, amazing teachers. So I think with stand up, stand up kind of like, it was always something that, I respected all the comedians that I watched. I love shows like Kids in the Hall and, mm-hmm. and uh, SNL and um, just any comedy, really, like Eddie Murphy, whatever, whoever it was. Um, but like when I was in college, I, you know, I had friends that also felt like you're quiet, kind of, but you're funny around us. You should kind of like try it. And um, there was a, I remember I got real drunk with my roommate and he signed us up for like a college like competition type thing, comedy. I thought it was going to be terrible. We thought it was going to be funny. We both drinking and I ended up winning it, but I just never, after I won it, I just was like, eh, you know, like, oh, they were laughing. We were drunk. Uh, and I think it was just, again, when you uh, let your fears and insecurity, like get the best of you, you know, it can prevent you from doing something that you're interested in for a long time. And mm-hmm. that's how it was for me. So Years and years went by, but I had that, that one experience and I, and I kept thinking about it. And then when I was teaching, maybe, uh, my second or third year into teaching, I decided to give it a, give it a try. So you're doing it as, as a teacher, did you just go to like an open mic or was there a competition or what'd you do? No, no, I was very smart about it. Like it was during summer break. I actually went out to LA to visit a friend. Ah. And while I was in LA, um, well, right before I went to LA, I went to go watch an open mic in Boston. Mm-hmm. Didn't go, I just went to watch. And then I went out to LA like the next week. And then my buddy, I was like, Hey man, I wanna, I wanna try, I wanna try an open mic. Mm-hmm. And can you bring me to one? And I was there for a week. He brought me to three. Everything was cool. It did not go well. Uh, you know, typical uh, stand-up story. Yeah. And then, um, but there was only like six people in there and they were all comics. So at the time, I didn't know that. I just thought, oh, you know, I just got, I needed to get this thing out of my system. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, on the, four, like there was, uh, he had some other friend that knew someone else that had a show, like a real show. And he was like, hey, my friend said he'll give you five minutes to do some material on the show. I'm like, man, I just tried it three times. I know comedian. What are you talking about? I can't do no real show. I can't even do an open mic. What makes you think I'm prepared for a real show? But anyways, he convinced me to do it. My friend, Mike Myers, shout out to Mike Myers. Uh, which, it's, a weird, it's a real person. It's not a fictitious. Like Mike Myers, he's hanging out. He's crazy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyways, I, I did the show and it, it went well. And the host 
was somebody I recognized from uh, a BT comic view at the time. And, and he had asked me, he said, oh man, you're, you're a good writer. How many years have you been doing comedy? And I was like, that was like validation and confirmation for me to be like, this guy thinks I've been doing it for a year or two. I, th I, thought, that was, <laughs> I th thought that was a compliment. You know, I was like, so, uh, so yeah, man, like I came back to Boston, um, the next week and, uh, that open mic that I attended, uh, attended earlier, I just, I kept, I kept going to it and I did that for just once in a while for a while. And then eventually, um, you know, uh, people started saying that, oh, you're kind of funny. And then I started getting other opportunities and then, um, yeah, really like summer of 2005 is really when I went at it, but like 2005 is when I started. Mm-hmm. And how long did you keep the full-time teaching position before you went full-time? Um, I, I kept that for 12 years, uh -huh. but I did, I did take a break. Um, I got the NBC for diversity, uh, -huh. uh thing. It, it was just thinking like, baby, like two years into comedy, I had went down to New York and stood in line with a bunch of other Boston comedians. And we did this two minute NBC for diversity thing. Anyways. I end up moving on and instead of all the Boston comics getting on the bus and going home, they all stayed with me to go to the final round that night. And I was the only one, I didn't have an agent or representation. And I was on there with some pretty like known comedians in New York and people that I seen on TV. And, uh, anyways, I ended up being one of the two that won out of New York. Wow. And, um, that, uh, maybe a month later, I, I was supposed to, the NBC diversity thing, the finals, you go out and compete for a, um, a, 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 a talent development deal for like 250 grand. Mm -hmm. So I was like, man, this is it. Man. <laughs> one of these stories. And, uh, it didn't happen. I didn't win. Um, but I, I, I end up taking some time off of school to kind of pursue that. Like, uh, I think I took like a, you know, I got permission to take like a couple weeks or whatever to do that. And then I went back to teaching and then, um, maybe a couple years later, uh, for a half a year, um, Joe Coy, who was a, a big mentor to me, national comedian. Um, I had met him and he had started like taking me on the road in the summer and then, um, for a while, like a couple of years. And then there was one year where he would ask me to go on the road, um, for like half a year. And then, and that's when I took a, a, a leap of absence. So I always say I taught for like 12 years, but it's more like 12 and a half years. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I ended up coming back after that because, uh, he was like, Oh, you want to go on the tour? You want to go on the road again? And I was like, no, I want to get my tenure as a, as a teacher. Cause I didn't, I didn't have enough years to you need 10 years to teach. Mm -hmm. And then, um, once I did that, I was just kind of like, all right, this is cool, man. I, I got a pretty good gig. You know, I'm, teaching and I'm doing stand up, uh, but you know, I started missing opportunities and I, but I was kind of still afraid to pull the trigger full time as a headlining comedian with no one bringing you on the road and, you know, no TV credits, no big TV credits at the mm -hmm. time. So yeah, that was a gamble. So that's story I tell at the end with the student kind of like, push me in the right direction as well. So that was that, you know, that's why it's included in, in, in the special. Right. How many times after you went full-time in comedy, did you say this was a really stupid decision? 
<laughs> you know what's crazy? Not, not a, the only time I did that, and I really didn't do it. Um, everything started happening when I, when I did it. Like I mm. legit, the day I decided to, I wasn't coming back. And um, I remember I applied for my first comedy festival. I think during that summer when I was debating on like, damn, I should just call them and tell them I want to, it was a mistake. Tell them I'm coming back. But um, I, I applied for uh, the Montreal Comedy Festival in Switzerland uh -huh. and I didn't expect to get that, but they picked two Americans and I was a guy that got the opportunity to go. So that led to me going to uh, Scotland and meeting all these international comics uh -huh. and then getting signed by um, a Mick Perrin, which is Eddie, Eddie Izzard's producer okay. over a uh, producer promoter over in, um, in England. And I, I've been very blessed all the way up into like in terms of working. That's, that's great. So they, they, yeah. Did you, yeah. did you meet anybody uh, overseas that kind of changed your outlook on comedy? Not, not just the shows, but did you meet anybody that kind of took you under their wing and gave you some good advice that you still use? Um, I don't think anyone that took me under the wing, but I, I think being exposed to comedy and the idea that it is, it can be done globally mm -hmm. and like other people in other countries, I think it really changed my mindset about stand up in terms of like, it's kind of like the equivalent when you're like starting out and you're very like local and maybe some of your references and the jokes that you have are very local until you start doing more national things. Like when Joe Coy took me on the road, I was like, well, maybe the Red Sox joke isn't as great as I thought. Yeah. It was. It's, it's, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think the same effect that, that, uh, doing comedy in other countries had the same impact on me because it made me start thinking like, yeah, I can do this joke, but will people in these other English speaking countries understand it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and if they do, how do I, what, what, you know, what do I have to not necessarily change, but how do I explain this joke in a way that they'll get it where it doesn't still can have the funny without sacrificing it with too much explanation. Um, the internet, my pacing changed a little bit more as well. So, so yeah. Well, the masterful pacing, that, that's, that's what I noticed first about the whole special. Yeah. I, I, and I did watch some of your clips. Um, uh, was that the, the Today Show? Was that Michael Strahan that brought you on? Uh, and you did a couple minutes. Uh, no, it wasn't to, 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 I don't, I've done Conan. I've done like, I've done, um, obviously dry bar, Mike Huckabee show, mm -hmm. which was completely out of my different political views. <laughs> but, uh, I did that show. I did that show in front of that audience. And, um, in my head, I was like, if, even if this doesn't go well, I'm going to have something to talk about yeah, on yeah. stage <laughs> from the experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, that international stuff definitely, uh, changed me, you know, in a way. So how did Conan happen? Conan happened 
Uh, shout out to Whitney Cummings, another national uh, headlining comedian that kind of took me on the road uh, for a little bit. Uh, one day she had asked me, like, how come you're not on TV? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> she, she's like, I may know somebody that, that might like you. And I think she didn't really, like, she's like, oh, I think they, they work for NBC or blah, blah, blah. I can't guarantee you anything, but I'll give you information. Uh -huh. So that's what she did. She just sent them a video of me. And within 24 hours, I got a text back from her, like, they love you. They're interested. They're going to be calling you. And then that's how the introduction happened uh, uh, with uh, J.P. Buck from Conan. Um, who's a talent scout. And uh, we would have, we would have conversations about like, because some people think when you do Conan, you're like, oh, they just take you for your five minutes. He seemed a 10 minute set. And we were kind of like trying to figure out what jokes would be good for his audience mm -hmm. with that audience on the show. And uh, the cool thing was while we were figuring that out, uh, in between that time, I had went out to Scotland to do Edinburgh. This mm -hmm. was in 2016. And he, we, even though we were on the phone talking, he never seen me in person. He happened to be in Edinburgh and he didn't tell me, he just came to one of my shows and watched me do an hour set. And after he seen me do the set and do a really good set, he goes, yeah, yeah, whatever day, like we just need to get a day down. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We were just talking about before, just, just go on. Call. I trust you're going to do okay. And then and that's all that. And we end up doing it in like October or November of 2016. Wow. That's so, great. Yeah. 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 It was awesome. Now you talk about in the special, you know, the, um, hurdles your mom went through and yeah. thereby the hurdles you went through uh, as well. And how did that shape you as, as, uh, actually just getting, getting through, uh, the, the young years and how did that, uh, help shape your comedy? Well, I will say this, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't help at the time. It didn't help at the time, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> you know, I thought the lazy eye was enough, but, um, <laughs> it, it definitely, uh, I guess exposed me to just a lot of things that probably a lot of kids probably shouldn't see, but it exposed me to different, uh, characters and, 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 and different like hardships and, and issues that um, as far as comedy goes, when I look back on those experiences, like, like I said, I'm a guy that went through a lot of experiences, unfortunately, some of them negative, mm -hmm. which ends up making probably uh, <laughs> a good sense of humor. Like, like if you can turn something that was negative into something positive and, and funny, I, I, I think it, it's comedy gold, really, you know? Oh, yeah. I, like at the time going through it, it was probably difficult, but there's a lot of things in my life that I could just kind of look back on and be like, oh, I could talk about that and how crazy that was. And now that I'm out of it and I'm looking back at it and, you know, in hindsight, I can kind of put that sense of humor to it. So I think that's how it might be helpful. Right. One of the things I, I didn't start stand up until I was 52. And one of the things I've always said about the advantages of being older and starting is you've already been through shit. You, you, you know, I've, uh, I've, yeah. I, I, I've had kids. I, you know, I've, um, you know, 
buried my best friend, you know, all that kind of stuff has happened <laughs> and having yeah. a bad set is so minuscule in comparison that you're just like, yeah, whatever. And, and I, yeah. I think maybe the, what you went through as a kid probably, yeah. you know, gives you that, um, it, it really does two things. First off, when you do really well, you don't get so full of yourself that you think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then when you do really yep. bad, you don't think you're, you're that terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it, I think that, that type of, uh, uh, comedic, uh, suffering that we all go through when it doesn't go well, it doesn't last as long mm. when you've been through some things in your life and, and you also can put it into perspective. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right. Um, so yeah, so that that in that way it, it's it's helped me as well. Yeah, you know, I just but it still hurts. Oh, it does. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah, you, you got. I I've always just you know I, I let myself be mad about it for five minutes and then I have to go on and get get on with my life. But yeah, it it does. I just did. I, I hadn't done any stand up for quite a while, and I my first one back was at a bar that I'd never been to. There was a whole group of people I didn't know, and I started talking to this nutty, yep. nutty guy at the bar and wasn't even thinking about my act, and I went up and just ate shit for five minutes, and and it was <laughs> a terrible experience. And then I was like, okay, one, I wasn't prepared. Two, they weren't prepared for me. And uh, and, yep. and three, um, I shouldn't drink so much before I go on stage, so... <laughs> yeah, you did every you did all the things you should do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you you I I really as far as the way the special is put together, I really liked how it it really kind of follows a chain of things that are um I guess what made you as a person and then also a little bit of commentary on you know, what, what the world's like when you, you talk about the, the, the school shooting bit. And one, one of the things that I guess I really took away from that is this is what happens in the world. There, there's a school shooting, everybody gets up in arms about it and then nobody talks about it. And mm. in, in between, you know, all, all, all the in-between stuff, everybody just kind of forgets about it and goes on. And I, th I thought that, what I liked about it was, is you brought it up, you didn't make it super heavy and, uh, it was really funny. And yet, um, it, I, I think somebody listening to that could maybe say, you know what, maybe I won't go shoot up a school today. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I do. I do think that like, uh, I mean, obviously it's like a, it's kind of like a touchy, subject mm -hmm. obviously and i know it ruffles some people's feathers a little bit but i do think it's it's like a point of view i i do think sometimes like we can people can just get caught up in the emotion of it like that is horrible yeah teaches and it's like well wait you know what i mean have you ever asked the teacher if they want to be armed yeah like i do shows all the time and like the 99% of the time, the teachers never raise their hand and say they want to be armed. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, because people are just having this reaction because of the, the, the incident. So, I, you know, I was debating on the same, saying this joke, but then I was like, nah, man, like, 
this is who I am. And like, I, I have to have the ability to like say what I think. And, and, and because I know there's a take to it that's, that's mine. And it's, 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 it's interesting. And whether you agree with it or not, there's some like merit to, to, to what I'm saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's a, there's a twist in there. The, the hiding part, I'm not, I'm not going to go into it in detail, but uh, if, if you don't watch the special for anything else, watch it for the cross-eyed thing and for the <laughs> hiding, hiding during a school yeah. shooting thing, because I, it yeah. was just hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. That, that was, it was just masterfully written and, and, and delivered just perfect. I just, I just love that part. I, I rewound it a couple of times just, to, <laughs> and th th then you start getting the metal picture and then you're like, ah, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Good, good, good. That's what it's supposed to do, man. Yeah. Yeah. Make you laugh and think a little bit. Yeah. Make you laugh and think a little bit. Yeah. I try to do that. I, I, I really liked it. So th the intention behind the special, can, can you go into why you wanted to do this? Yeah, there's several, there's several reasons. I, I, I do feel like, um, you know, I was ready to like unleash this material that I, I kind of been doing bits and pieces of it on, you know, a little bit on Conan, a little bit in dry bar, but I do feel like sometimes when you're doing shorter sets, it's not a complete set. Like they, you know, it's either you're, you're sacrificing who you are a little bit or you're sad or you, cause you're focused just on the jokes and the jokes are kind of like out of context. And like, there's things you might have to leave out. And I felt like, um, you know, since the Netflix wasn't knocking on my door, um, they weren't knocking <laughs> on my door. And I felt like, you know, you know, I, I perform all over the country and, uh, you know, performed internationally. And a lot of people seem to like the jokes. And I'm like, why am I waiting for somebody to do something that I can do myself? Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like, especially like during this time, because it's like, there's a lot of teacher material and it's, um, it really focuses on like, it talks about teaching, a lot of themes in it, like school the impact of teachers, uh, um, uh, the impact of students on you as educators. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, during this school year, uh, where a lot of teachers are going, came back to school after a year of remote teaching, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of teachers were kind of like depressed, yeah. you know, like the stress has been on a very all time high, like, Teachers are like, well, we're worried about our safety. And then people are like, I don't care. I just got to come back. <laughs> and, you know, and you got to think you have kids that were in the seventh grade when this whole thing started that are now freshmen yeah. and they're around. See, just imagine that transition and then being the teacher that has to deal with these kids that are, you know, their last time that was in a classroom was seventh grade. Yeah. You know, so. I felt like that's why I kind of wanted to do it in a school and I wanted to do it at my school. Cause like I said, personally, it, it has, you know, uh, a lot of meaning and significance to me. Mm. And, and as you notice in the crowd, there's a lot of teachers that were at the school. So it was like, I was doing them a favor as well because they were like, this was like relief for them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that, that's kind of why I wanted to do it, man. Like, 
And now it's dropping. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, Scott, but Teacher Appreciation Week starts today. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. It's May 2nd through the 7th. And my special is dropping on May 6th because I wanted it to, I wanted to give them a gift other than stale cookies and donuts <laughs> and coffee that administrator is going to give them or thank you. Thank you cards with thank you spelled incorrect. Right. But I <laughs> so, yeah. One of the one of the things that I know because I I know teachers uh, personally is the stress never went away because you had the stress of trying to do the remote learning and nobody was happy with it. The kids weren't happy, the parents weren't happy, the teachers weren't happy, and you're always trying to adjust. And then yeah. you try to then they bring the kids back for a little bit, then they take them back out, and then then you're dumped into it full time. And and I know that. A lot. I, I just know that a lot of these kids spent all the time that they weren't able to go to school, like playing video games and stuff. And so oh, yeah. they, they weren't, they weren't, like you said, a seventh grader that's now a freshman is still at the maturity level in some, in some ways of that seventh grader because they haven't been social. Yeah, they haven't. Exactly. So this, so them going back to school, even for them has to be like, oh my God, I'm around other kids again, finally. So how, you know, if it was distracting before, imagine how distracting it had to be now that you have all these kids that are like just excited. They're not excited to be probably doing schoolwork again, Mm -hmm. but they're excited to see their friends. They, they, they want to, so it's it's, it's going to be a lot harder for teachers to get everybody's attention. And then, you know, I mean, it's, I, I, I don't envy being a teacher coming back after a year of remote learning. So hats off to every teacher that's out there that that's, that's sticking with it and doing it. And, you know, you know, a lot, I don't think people really understand the, that, that stress and, you know, how that impacts the morale yeah. of a lot of teachers as well, you know? And you used to think that the grade school teachers had it easy and they've got it just as tough as a high school. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. They, that's, I mean, any teacher at, at, at any level, I mean, just dealing with that many kids and different personalities, in addition to the expectations that administration has on you in terms of like lesson plans and curriculum and doing your job. And then throwing parents on top of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's easily one of the most difficult jobs a person can ever do. Yeah. People don't realize how emotionally draining it is. Yeah, I agree. As far as, so you've been doing this a long enough time that you kind of know who you are, but as far as advice you've gotten along the way, do you? have any pieces of advice that, uh, first of all, was the worst advice you ever got and you acted on it and found out it was terrible or the best advice you ever got? I think the, uh, I don't know if it's the best first advice. Uh, I remember when I was a year into maybe a year, a year and a, a year into stand up. I, I, there was this comedian who I will not mention, uh, a more veteran comedian. And I said, Hey man, do you have any advice for an up and coming comic? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, talk to me in five years. Uh. <laughs> the way. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I remember at the time thinking to myself, how rude, how rude of you. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? You're not even big time. What are you yeah. talking about? That's rude. And then, uh, you know, after doing it for a number of years, I kind of maybe look at it a little bit differently now. Not saying he handled it correctly, but um, I do understand the point. And there's a lot of people that don't last long in mm. stand-up. And they want you to give them all the listen, impatient without working for it or showing that you're really dedicated to it. And, um, yeah, you know, like five years, doing it for five years is a good amount of time. Yeah. You know, you, what I learned is you sacrifice a lot in comedy, whether you realize it or not, whether it could just be your weekends or your time with your friends and you'll start noticing it when people stop inviting you to things because they think you're out doing standups. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And, it, and, it, and it's kind of make, sometimes it becomes kind of difficult to socialize sometimes with people that are not comedians that kind of don't know your life. Um, but, um, I guess the best advice, uh, I ever got was, uh, you know, you just keep, keep, keep getting up on stage. If you don't pick it up, you don't have to put it down. Somebody said, uh, Maya Angelou, I heard that quote from Maya Angelou. Mm. It wasn't necessarily a comedic quote, but it's something that you said a little bit earlier in the sense of, you know, you know, as an older comic, not to get too high uh -huh. off the applause and not to get too low off the, 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 the down, the down nights, you know? And I, I think it's the same thing. Like if you don't pick up all the praise, you don't have to put it down. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Like so when you get all the bad, you know, the negative criticism. So you just try to remain neutral and, and, and focus for me, I feel like focus on your own. Everybody has their own plan and you can't worry and, about anybody else and just kind of do your thing and, you know, see what happens from then. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I see that you're touring very, very regularly right now and mm -hmm. you're very busy. What? How do you feel the the audiences are now versus pre-pandemic? I mean, I, I, I think they're, I think they're good to be honest with you. I thought they were a little bit more sensitive, um, before the pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, Trump, uh, days when, you know, everything political was kind of like, uh, it was almost like a death wish for a comedian to yeah. get up and talk <laughs> politics. Um, so I think now that people, uh, are getting out again. After, uh, you know, having their, 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 um, entertainment and freedom and, you know, places to go taken away. I, I think now they're, they're kind of like excited to be back. And there's that, that buzz in the atmosphere, uh, again. And, um, but it's still like, uh, you know, we'll see how long that lasts, but, uh, yeah. I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like people are pretty excited to be out. Yeah. You know, everybody kind of like tired of this, uh, pandemic. Yeah. And I'm getting, almost everybody I talk to says about the same thing that it's really great energy and it's easier to fill a room. The, the tickets are selling earlier instead of, uh, trying to yep. get half the seats filled the day before and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's just waiting for the, the hammer to drop. And then all of a sudden yep. nobody, nobody cares anymore. But I think, I think that they appreciate it enough now that folks are going to get out and, and, do it more. I'm at least hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think so. Like 
based on my time so far, I, you know, people are definitely uh, coming out. They're definitely coming out. Yeah. So as far as, so the special's coming out on May 6th. And, yes. uh, and this is teacher appreciation week. So perfect timing for it. And, yep. uh, what else do you have going on and how can people find you? People can find me by going to my website at Orlando Um, signing up for the mailing list, whether I'm either in your area or you just want the monthly to see all the things I got going on. Hmm. But, um, as far as the specials, like the big thing, the special, the album will follow that shortly. Uh, and people will be able to uh, uh, purchase that or listen to it on a series, hopefully, uh, series radio. And um, uh, I got a podcast. I, I, I don't want to announce the name yet, but uh, okay. please sign up and you'll hear about that. But uh, yeah, the podcast, I'm very excited about that. But my focus is on the special right now. Yeah. Um, but within the next month, uh, I'll, I'll be promoting the podcast and uh, hopefully people like that. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't ask you this earlier, but how much, uh, mm -hmm. do you do as far as social media? Are you like really into it or do you just have somebody doing it for you? No, I don't have, have anyone doing it for me and I'm not really into it. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's very hard, but I know it's, it's, it's not my thing. I didn't come into comedy to it. So, but I think that's the way I need to go. And so I'll be a hundred percent putting up more content, um, and, and, and hoping people get a chance to see me. And I, and I really hope that when people watch the special, you know, they'll get a sense of who I am, a, a sense of my humor and they'll, they'll decide to like follow me and, and, and hear more because yeah. I got more. And, and it's okay to put stuff up, but when they expect you to be a content creator and all this, all this original stuff. Yeah. If, if you, if you put your mind on that and then on the business of comedy, then all of a sudden the writing starts going downhill because you're not concentrating yeah. on that. And then if you concentrate on this, then that goes down. It's just, it, it's amazing what you have to juggle to try to, um, get your name out there anymore. It's just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard. It's, it's, it's not something that I, <laughs> Hey, when I get, if I ever get big enough, then I'm definitely going to have somebody handle all that because I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, um, like I said, your special is something that I'm going to watch over and over again, just because the pacing, if, if I could yeah. just, if, if I could, uh, be, I, I don't know, 10% of the pacing that you have, then I think I'd probably be a hundred percent better comedian. So I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and, and your writing, just, it, your writing is just great. I mean, you're, you're very unique. And, uh, um, I mean, you talked about Richard Pryor, you do remind me of him as far as telling the, the true story tales and stuff like that. And I think he wrote a lot like you too, because a lot of the folks I talked to from the comedy store said that you know he he just used to go up and do an hour and it was awful and and yeah. then he'd do it again and it was a little bit better and then by the time he did it like the 20th time then he'd tour with it and then he'd do the special and then he was then he would just come back and do it again yeah see that and that, yeah that i mean that's kind of the 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 philosophy i'm kind of following i mean it works for me if i find a, no, a better way to write and to write more a hundred percent. I would, I would do that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, right now this is what's working for me. So that that's what I'm going to roll with. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad we met. Thanks for being on the show, Orlando. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Scott. I really enjoyed myself. Yeah. Thanks.